Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Well, welcome to Set on Sunday. Uh, I'm your host, James, and today we don't have Beck. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look out. We're back to where we were before. <laughs> so hold on for a fun, uh, fun episode. Uh, we got Dave. Welcome, Dave. Hello. It's nice to make the height cut this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, I'd say we missed you, but we didn't. Uh, Nathan, good to see you, mate. Good to be back again. And Daniel. Hello, hello. He, he did well enough last week. He's back again. Mm. Yeah, called back. It mustn't have done too bad. Yeah, 100%. Well, if you're listening at home uh, or wherever you are, uh, Beck's not here because uh, we're actually currently away in Terrigal. Uh, we're at a conference called Reach Australia and um, us as a staff team are up here for the week and I'm um, really looking forward to what we're going to be um, learning and, and unpacking together and how we can really be bringing uh, some of that learning uh, from this conference into our ministries uh, here at Kellyville. But uh, we're here for set on Sunday, so we're going to talk about that. So Nathan, what did you say on Sunday? Yeah, just before that, I was at a ministry masterclass uh, this afternoon and, and, and James was in the same session as me and, and the masterclass giver uh, was one uh, Reverend David Kewen. And so um, my job is just learning from a permanent master. <laughs> so it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful... <laughs> we paid to go to a conference <laughs> to just listen to our boss. <laughs> 50 hours a week, I'm just in a masterclass, that's what I learned. So yeah. uh, I'm very blessed. Uh, on Sunday, uh, we dove into 1 Samuel 12 and 13. And so yeah. Saul's start was very promising in chapters 9 to 11, but we see uh, a couple of sad things happen. We see a sad end to Samuel's ministry. He's kind of been rejected and, and he's stepping down. And then uh, that's chapter 12 and then chapter 13, we see uh, Saul's first big mistake. He's got many big mistakes to come, but we see his first one. And so... Uh, we're sad about Samuel ending and mm. we're sad that Saul has already failed uh, so quickly. And so the leadership crisis in Israel uh, still kicks on. And so uh, it's saying that uh, that passage gives us the need for the ultimate leader uh, in Jesus Christ who faces a similar circumstance to Saul and yet thrives uh, where Saul fails. Yeah, awesome. Well, on that uh, notion, uh, kind of first few questions that we had come in was on uh, obedience or in uh, Saul's case, mm. his lack of obedience. Um, and so our first question for us uh, today is, one Samuel talks a lot about leadership, good leaders and bad leaders. In a world where we have many leaders and many different opinions on whether these leaders are good or bad, how do we respect their authority without going against what is right with God? Is there a point at which you no longer follow the instructions of our leaders because we know it goes against our responsibility as children of God? What do you reckon, Nath? Yeah, that's a really helpful question. I think I think absolutely we want to respect leaders as much as possible and we want to respect them uh, regardless of whether they're our leader of choice or not and mm. in our democratic system, you know almost 50% of the country don't get the leader uh, that they want. Um, so um, so we respect the position regardless. That's just something we should do. But then Christians have an even bigger obligation because we, we're, we're told that God has ordained every leader that is above us. And so even the leaders we don't like, God has put there. Uh, so we, uh, we need to respect them and honour them as best we can uh, in terms of... Um, and I think actually we see a really good example in 1 Samuel of, of David who... Uh, 
Saul is treating him awfully. Saul has tried to take his life multiple times and and David knows that he's going to be the next king of Israel and he has multiple chances to kill Saul and refuses to do so because uh, he's the Lord's anointed. He's the king that God chose and so he doesn't want to lay a hand on him. And so uh, David's a really good example of uh, respecting authority even if they're, even if the authority is a bit corrupt and, and in, in Saul's case very, very corrupt. Um, in terms of do we ever go against our authority, uh, the answer is yes uh, when the authority is asking us to uh, disobey God. And mm. so uh, many countries, it's illegal to meet uh, and to do Christian fellowship. It's illegal to pray. It's illegal to read your Bible. Um, yeah. And if you get caught with a Bible or caught meeting with other Christians, your life is in danger. Uh, and But those Christians, um, yeah, they need to disobey their government because uh, God, that's going against God's command. So uh, there is a line. And pretty much as soon as a, a human leader contradicts Scripture, uh, we, we're actually obligated to not obey them and to obey God as an even higher authority than them. Yeah, okay. Any other thoughts from anyone? Oh, look, I think just uh, Romans 13 uh, comes to mind. Mm. To say, you know, um, We are to submit to authorities. Yep. Uh, and I think we want to hold both of those things uh, in... Um, uh, in the tension sometimes that it creates for us that we need to submit to authorities and we need to be obedient to God's word. For sure. Uh, and most of the time, I would say 95% of the time, those things are in accordance with one another. Hmm. Uh, and But there are times uh, where we should think very carefully uh, hmm. about, and again, we're talking about civil action, right? Um, and so you want to think very, very, very carefully whether that's a path you want to go down. Yep. Um, and it's, you want it to be abundantly clear. Yeah, for sure. Okay, very good. Well, um, you know, we're human. Saul was human. Mm-hmm. And so for us in times, you know, we might be in a similar situation to Saul uh, where mm-hmm. everything seems to be against us uh, and yet God does not seem to be there. And so how do we respond not like Saul but what God would want? Because if, you know, we were in Saul's situation, uh, we could very much see ourselves doing a similar thing in fear. So... What do you reckon, Nath? Yeah, Saul is, he's a sort of a cautionary tale and a really good one because he's actually very relatable. Like Mm. I look at Saul's early sins, his later sins, as the book goes on, get more and more savage and less and less uh, relatable. Uh, But the sin here is relatable. He's in a really hard spot and he panics and he sins and his next sin and uh, that you're going to cover on Sunday is also, uh, I can sort of relate to Saul's hesitancy um, to obey God's command. And so... I think the way we, I think it's pretty clear. I think Beck said that um, Saul was the paragon of spiritual blindness. Uh, mm. And so he doesn't know God. And so he actually doesn't. So we want to work really hard to know God as best we can, uh, yeah. particularly when life is going well, so that we do have something we can call upon uh, when life goes hard. And so Saul doesn't know God. And so it appears like he, you know, in chapter 10, when we meet him, he had no idea who Sammy was. Like he's clearly not paying attention to the spiritual uh, state yeah. uh, and so he probably hasn't he's not familiar with the story of god going into philistine territory and winning with an army of zero he's not familiar with the story of gideon uh, and winning with an army of 300 and so if he had known god better he might have had uh, a bit of peace going i've only got an army of 600 but god's a very capable god here um and then the second thing I'd say is you will fail. Like Saul, you'll get into tricky situations and you will fall short. And mm-hmm. so again, we wanna where we want to be different to Saul is how we respond to our own sin. So we want to be quick to repent uh, and slow to make excuses because uh, every time Saul sins, uh, he even acknowledges he does the wrong thing, but then he'll blame someone else. And so this passage, he blames Samuel for being not punctual yeah. enough. Uh, this passage coming up, he says, I sinned. 
I gave in to the men around me. Supremus going, the men around me made me do it. And so yeah. he's um he's just, yeah, so one, we want to know God personally. So we do have things we can call on in hard seasons. And two, we want to repent when we do stuff up like Saul. Yeah. As humans, we're, we're good at shifting the blame. Mm. I don't like to own our own mistakes and our own faults. Always try and find outs. Um, mm. And we even see that back in Genesis with Adam, right? Mm. He tries and shifts the blame. It wasn't me. But yeah, I think it's interesting too that uh, we... Um, we know our theology of sin as Christians. Mm. We know we're sinners, but yet uh, we, we often sh- try and shift the blame away from ourselves as if there's going to be a surprise to other people that we're sinful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that we'd be surprised by our, by our own sin and our own limitations seems mm. seems odd yeah. uh, given the theology that we hold. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, what we're going to explore in the coming weeks is we're going to see someone that owns his sin mm. and brings it before God. Yes. And um, even though he's just as sinful yep. and does plenty of bad stuff, as we're going to see what David got up mm. to and later in the book, um, there's that, that real change in mindset of yep. owning it and bringing it before God and repentance. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things that we clearly don't see Saul doing yeah. Uh, yeah. here and what we won't see next week. I'll stop blaming you, James, for my own failures. Thanks, man. I like using it as a scapegoat, but... You do. You're a yeah. good guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, mate. And I'm a failure. <laughs> I'm a failure. Yes. Try, mate. No we're, excuses. We're, we're all sinful, though. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah. It's just so easy to blame everyone else. Yeah. All right. Okay. No all more. Right. Moving on. <laughs> so uh, Samuel, here in the context, um, setting seven days only to not show up when promised seems like an unfair test. And so how can it be God's word if that part wasn't true? Uh, performing the sacrifice due to his fleeing um, army seems like a reasonable response and not wicked. Surely it was some other Levite doing the sacrifice. Maybe not, though. I wasn't there. That's kind of the, that's the wording of the message. I love the that they weren't there. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's yeah. A, I wasn't there either. Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, speculate together. I think Samuel did actually arrive within the seven days. I think okay. he just cut it very, very, very fine. And so yeah. the time was pretty much up and Saul's panicking and the Philistine army just appears to be getting bigger and bigger and his army's getting smaller and mm. smaller and so he freaks out. Yeah. Uh, and so I think... I think he actually came on the seventh day, like the seven days were up and the same has come right at the end. And so I don't think he's lied or, or misled. Uh, otherwise, that would be that would be a problem. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's that part of it. And to, I think Saul did come in and, and make the sacrifice himself. I don't think he uh, gave it to a Levite or anything like that. And I think because um, Samuel, again, he was kind of, he was... He's doing a triple function at the time. He was judge and prophet and priest. And so yeah. for the nation of Israel, chapter 12, he steps down from being a judge, but he's still the prophet and the priest of the nation. So I think it was Samuel's job uh, to, to make the sacrifice. And so I do think Saul, uh, I, I, I do sympathize with him. But again, um, he had two very clear instructions uh, from 1 Samuel 10, attack the Philistines, which he didn't do. Uh, and Jonathan had to do it. And then don't make the sacrifice, which he does do. And Samuel had given him plenty of other signs to go, you can trust this word. And all those other signs had come true. And so he did have good evidence that when Samuel spoke, uh, what he said came true. And um, and in 1 Samuel 9, his Saul's servant says, everything Samuel says comes true. So trust yeah. him. And so Saul doesn't trust, Samuel doesn't trust God and, and takes things into his own hands. Again, sympathize that he stressed but he is in the wrong yeah okay very good well i guess it makes you wonder how do we get in this spot right um you know the question that's come in is would god not have known how saul would have behaved before anointing him and so do you reckon you know was that done on purpose to teach israel a lesson that's a question that's come in for mm-hmm. us yeah it's a really good question yeah. and um dan has a really good answer so i'm excited to hear it yeah i'm sure i've got 
A great no. Um, <laughs> I think this is like the the classic thing, right? Um, there's you've always got right through scripture and even to today, you've got God working and us working side by side. And yeah, I think the answer to this is yes because God is sovereign and he knows all of history. So he did know that Saul would disobey here and he did know that he would end up how he how he end up how he does end up as we will hear this term um before anointing him. So yes, he did kind of set him up to fail, but there's also an element that we don't understand about how much does Saul input into there as well. Um and um, the other, and I think it is definitely a teaching moment too for Israel as a whole. Like we, um, like that has been iterated on both Sundays that we've had already. This book is the solution to the leadership crisis in Judges. It is mm. a society that don't know God and everyone is doing their own thing. And so like a, I think we touched on last week, he is a worldly leader for a worldly people and to bring them corrective back because the judges weren't working and Samuel wasn't working give them what they want and there is a, yeah, teaching aspect there too and then they see David and and we see right through this back half of 1 Samuel the contrast between them, how God, what a godly king after his own heart does look like versus one that doesn't and is worldly. Hmm. And, and God does use Saul for good. So Saul does keep mm. Israel safe and he does subdue uh, the Philistines uh, on quite a few occasions and so uh, God is working through Saul and I think uh, the key verse uh, that's, I think we often take one way, but it can go both ways, is that God's after a man, after his own heart. And so we take it, he wants a king, he wants to follow God, which is a good, that's right. But also, it's also a person who's on God's heart. And so Saul is uh, a king after the people's heart. He's exactly who they want, uh, whereas David is a king after God's own heart. So uh, that's the king that God desires. And so, um, yes, there's a couple of key things there. There's also a question in here about uh, God's sovereignty and what he knows and human responsibility. So, uh, yes, God knows uh, what Saul is going to do. Uh, Yes, this is still part of God's plan. Uh, And yes, Saul is still responsible for his actions. And I think you want to hold those... Uh, aspects uh, of the theology that we're looking at here really strongly. Mm. Uh, otherwise, we find ourselves in all sorts of theological places that I don't think we'd necessarily be comfortable with. Yeah, awesome. Good answers. All right. Well, we're going to move on a little bit um, and look at something that Saul definitely was not good at. Um, so the first question uh, is... Uh, what's the difference between repentance, trust, and obedience? Yeah, that's a good question and three terms that are very important in Christian uh, and, and throughout Scripture. And so, um, yeah, so we'll start with obedience first. And so God gives, and it's probably the term we're perhaps the most familiar with if we've been in schools or we've been parented, uh, we, we, we will have been told to obey. Uh, and so, yeah, God gives heaps of commands in Scripture, over 600 in the Old Testament and plenty more in the New Testament. And so obedience is uh, doing the things that God wants us to do and not doing the things that God uh, doesn't want us to do. And so, uh, yeah, so he gives lots of commands uh, and so we are expected to obey them. Uh, repentance comes in when we fail to obey. And so... Ooh. 
Um, David is a really good example of repentance because he does obey a lot of the time, but he also disobeys in key ways. But he's always quick to ask God for forgiveness. He's always quick to acknowledge fault. Uh, he's actually very slow to blame shift and will generally take responsibility. And so um, repentance is sort of owning our sin. Uh, and in 1 Samuel 12, in Samuel's speech, he gives a good example of turn from your evil ways. So it's that analogy of the U-turn of I've been going the wrong way. I've been doing evil and now I'm turning around and I'm going to embrace uh, God. And then trust is probably a term we're pretty familiar with as well. So it's sort of believing in something. And so we're all sitting on chairs right now. So we put our trust and our faith that uh, they would hold us. And so um, my diet's been pretty bad for the last few weeks, but it didn't, you know, the chair held strong. And so I have even more faith in future chairs because of this one. So it's all it's all worked out well. Very good. Well, I've got faith in this chair. It's still holding me. So it's holding you and holding me. We're good, brother. Strong chairs. Yeah. Strong chairs. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, go uh, I think an important thing with this one is all three of those terms, repentance, trust, and obedience are all linked. And you can't have you, – there's a sequence there, but they're all so intertwined with one another. Yes. You can't have obedience without believing in what you're, you're mm-hmm. following before repenting of what you did before. Yes. They're all so inextricably linked. Yes, yeah, they all lead, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Repentance will lead to obedience. Trust will lead to obedience. Um, so, yeah, they, they – um, yeah, it's not helpful to silo them. Um, even though they do have different definitions, they are very intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of links uh, mm-hmm. and intertwine, um, we had a question come in. Is God's forgiveness of us dependent on our repentance? <laughs> uh, if yes, does that mean yeah. salvation is actually up to me and not God? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, that's a really good question with lots of layers and, and different strands of theology mm. uh, linked. And so forgiveness is available for everyone. And so the death of Jesus... Um, because he's the son of God and because he's lived a perfect life and uh, because he's also human, he can represent us and he can cover all our sins. And Mm. so uh, the offer of forgiveness uh, for every single sin is out there. And so um, Mm. we got taught at college uh, the phrase, it's sufficient for all. So, yeah, Jesus' death on the cross can cover every single sin, uh, sufficient for everyone, uh, but it's only efficient for some, those who um, choose to receive that gift. And so forgiveness, Mm. eternal life, it's a gift that God offers. uh, And so we do need to take hold of that. Uh, in repentance and faith. Um, so, yes, in that case, it is it is conditional. We do need to receive God's offer of forgiveness. Uh, where it gets hairy is just that um, we have our predestination thread as well. And mm. so, yes, we, are, we need to take hold of it. Um, but yeah. then we read in other pieces of Scripture that we can't have faith unless God enables us. And so, in one sense, yes, we have to have faith to receive forgiveness and on the other hand so that sort of does have an element where it's dependent on us but then on the other hand uh god is the one who enables faith and our faith is a gift as we read in ephesians 2 and so uh it still ends up ultimately being all god's glory and so lots of strands of theology in a very short answer so i'm looking forward to hearing uh what dave has to say i think uh i think you can answer the question uh in a couple of different ways like is god's forgiveness of us dependent on us in any way, the answer is no. Um, you know, the, the forgiveness that is one of the, the act of atonement, the act of what Jesus did on the cross in dying for us, uh, is is an act that's separate from us. Um, we're not involved in it. Uh, and so I think you can take us out of the equation. But how do we get brought into the atonement? Well, uh, it is through our repentance but nobody repents without the work of the Holy Spirit within them. Uh, and so therefore, yes, on the surface, it looks like uh, God's forgiveness and our repentance are linked 
in a logical fashion, I repent, God forgives. Um, and But it's not taking into account the work of the Spirit, the work of regeneration that happens in our hearts so that we go, actually, and I repent because I now recognize Jesus as my King uh, and I trust Him as, as my Saviour. Uh, and so I think we want to sort of just bring that element of going, it feels like you could you'd almost answer the question the other way and say, is God's forgiveness of us dependent on our repentance? Absolutely it is. Mm. But we don't repent unless God works in us prior. Yeah. The masterclass continues. That's it. Well, <laughs> on, the, on that thread of the work of the Spirit mm. in us, um, I'm assuming they're quoting you here where you've said God works through weakness. Um, so when we say that, what is God's work? What's he, what's he doing there? Yeah, he's bringing, there's lots of good answers here really um, mm. in terms of uh, he's working for good at all times. And that's what you Romans 8, 28, that all, in all things God's working for good. Uh, and I think in that case, the good is that we're becoming more holy, we're becoming more godly. Uh, and so uh, it might not mean that we have a rough season and then we have a really successful life after that, that we bounce yeah. back stronger. It might be that we have a really rough season, uh, but we grow in our faith and grow closer to God. Um, in the in 1 Samuel's case, it's that he's working through weak people to save uh, the nation. And then, I mean, perhaps the most famous example of weakness is Jesus dying and perceivingly so helpless on the cross, and yet he's using that to, to bring salvation uh, to anyone who would, who would trust in him. So, uh, yeah, God can be doing all sorts of different uh, good stuff in, in, through weakness. The challenge is often it takes years and a long-term perspective to see it. And so mm. when we're in the middle of a hard season, we might see a couple of things. Uh, we might see us grow through in perseverance and, and our resilience, um, and but often it's when we look that 10 years down the road where we go, wow, that was such a hard season and I grew so much. Um, but yeah, there's lots of that's, that's three different examples of, of how God works through weakness, but um, there's many, many more that I'm sure others could rattle off as well. Hmm. I think in this question, that's especially uh, important to consider um, just church in general. Like, um, what is God's work? Well, primarily it is bringing people back to Him, it is bringing people to, yeah, to that repentance, faith and mm -hmm. obedience that we talked about. Um, and, yeah, it's primarily working through us who are fundamentally flawed in all that we do to bring even one person one step closer. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, at, at a very simple level, any interaction that involves that kind of discussion is God's work too. Mm. For sure. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also helpful just from a pastoral side. Just God wants to hear your concerns and your worries. And so, yeah, yeah. there's entire books of scripture pretty much, you know, in the Psalms of people pouring out their celebrations and their commiserations uh, to God. And so God wants to hear, God sympathizes, God relates, yeah. uh, and God and God works. And sometimes yeah. it's very obvious how he's working and other times it's subtle, uh, but we have it. We have so many examples in both life, history, and, and, and scripture that sure. God is always at working even when we can't see it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Amen. Well, um, just changing tracks a little bit. Um, we had a couple of questions come in, uh, I think it was last week, um, that mm -hmm. we didn't get to. So we're going to fire those away. Um, so the first one was, why is there so many kings before the true king? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it comes back to sort of God's timing. And mm. so sometimes God works... Uh, slower than we might like. I think it's that 2 Peter 3 where it sort of said God is not slow in the way that we understand a slowness, but he's patient wanting you know, people to be saved. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he sends a lot of kings before uh, King Jesus. Um, I mean, I think from a 
yeah, so there's that timing question, uh, which, yeah, for, for God, a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So, yeah, yeah it's been like three days <laughs> since I was around. And God's eyes like, what are you talking about? I'm moving real quick. Um, uh, but then there's also, we don't actually understand and appreciate uh, the greatness of Jesus without those kings to go beforehand. And so Saul's failure makes uh, Jesus' uh, greatness you know, stand even stand out even more. And and then uh, often the kings of Israel are called uh, types and Jesus is the anti-type. So sort of he's the completion and the fulfillment. And so we understand Jesus' work because of the king because of the prophets, because of the priests uh, that came beforehand who uh, were a type of Jesus. They might have had elements that are similar to him and then he comes and he's a perfection of all of them. And so we appreciate Jesus' work uh, more and understand more about it uh, yeah, because of the kings that went beforehand. So, yeah, we don't know. I mean, you've got to get into the mind of God of why he chose to do certain things, but there's a couple of indicators there that, that might be helpful for us. Yeah. I think particularly um, thinking about like one and two kings and those those narratives there, there are so many bad kings that lead Israel in that time. And thinking about it really does highlight the good ones. When there is a good king and it does say there is a good king, it makes you really listen in and look at those kings and say, what are the qualities that these guys have? And like you said, they're often a type of Jesus and looking at the example they give and really making those links, like you were saying, it, it highlights them in history and says, what is he, What are they pointing to? Just like you were saying. Yeah. And then there's texts like 1 Corinthians 10 where everything in the Old Testament is a warning and instruction to us. And so we yeah. benefit mm. uh, from reading about Saul's failures. And so we are, we are warned and instructed. And, and a lot of these guys that are sinners are pretty relatable. And so we do go, yeah, okay. like I read Saul and go, yep, I've been tempted by that. Yep, I failed in that arena. Um, and so, yeah, they, those guys, even though it might have been more efficient, you know, in our mind to send Jesus mm. straight away, like we do learn a lot and benefit from reading about those kings. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, the last question that we have uh, for us is, did Jesus really come back to life? And if not, what happened to his body? Yeah, uh, so uh, yes, Jesus came back to life. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we wanted, and I don't think we need to answer the second part of the question of what happened to his body, because that's part of the key evidence that Jesus came back to life. Yeah, uh, The tomb was empty. Uh, and so you would assume, you know, on some of the theories around the resurrection of uh, if they knew where his body was uh, or they'd hid it in some way, yep. all you need to do to disprove the resurrection is just parade Jesus' body up and down the streets of Jerusalem and it's over, it's done, hmm. Christianity's finished yeah. uh, and we can go to dinner. Um, <laughs> um, but... If you're wondering why Dave hasn't spoken <laughs> much on this recording, he's hungry. I'm also know he's hangry. Um, uh, but, yeah, and, and so the, there's multiple pieces of evidence yeah. uh, for Jesus' resurrection, uh, that, that he was seen physically uh, by his disciples, that he appeared to 500 others, uh, at a, you know, 1 Corinthians tells us. Hmm. And so you need to weigh the evidence up yep. um, and you need to come up with an alternate explanation that it logically makes sense of the facts around Jesus. So it can feel ludicrous at times. Like personally, it can feel ludicrous to stand up and say this person rose from the dead. Yeah. Like I get the absurdity of the claim, but I have no other explanation. Um, and uh, that, that, that's just, it's a wonderful thing. It's such a great thing. Um, so I don't know what happened to his body. 
Yeah. Well, we do, we do. but physically resurrected. Yeah. And, you know, he's up in, he's, he's in heaven with the Father. Mm. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. I remember an Easter sermon, it's quite a powerful moment, sort of the, the senior minister of the church, and he got up and said, if they find Jesus' body, like, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I'm going back to, I think he was a PE teacher. So I'm going to go, you know, teach kids javelin. There wasn't Dave, who also used to be a PE teacher. Um, yes, but um, it was quite a powerful moment. Like, like, if they find Jesus' body, like, we're useless. And that's what even Paul says. Like, we are to be pitied above all men if the resurrection is not, uh, it's not true. Which oh, this is, is our last Sunday. Yeah. Like, mm. what are we doing? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I think, I think one of the pieces of evidence I find really compelling is, is the disciples and their actions. And so mm. they go from gutless cowards to extremely brave men willing to die. Yeah. And uh, so some people say, well, they made it up. And I go, but what motivates people to lie? People lie because they want to get out of trouble or they want to benefit somehow. And these guys got themselves into so much trouble by speaking oh, about the resurrected sorry. Jesus and lost everything in a worldly sense. And yeah. so um, I don't think they're lying. And and why would you go and die for a lie? Like you you put your life on the line for something you sincerely believe and something that's changed your life. And so, yeah, the disciples and the way they act uh, and the way they change, I think is very powerful evidence for the resurrection. Yeah, oh, that's great. And I just want to commend to you um, this guy called John Dixon. If you haven't looked at any of his stuff, um, he's really great in this space looking at the uh, historicity of Jesus. Um, and so um, he's written a book called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. And so I invite you to um, check that out. Um, I've read it. It was really good. Um, and I think it will help you unpack some more questions that you might have. Uh, we've made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um Dave is putting his hands up, cheering. He is happy. Um, it's been a big day for Dave. He's been presenting, uh, doing some stuff at Reach in front of the staff team, as we said before. Um, so I think he's happy to uh, have the night off in a moment. But uh, before we do that, uh, this coming Sunday, mm-hmm. it's Mother's Day. Have we bought gifts? No. Yes. No. I am the gift. <laughs> Stop blaming us. Don't, don't take responsibility. Yeah, I have. Yes. I have not. Uh, probably get on that. Um, I do see myself as a gift as well, Nathan, but um, I'm not going to present myself to my wife on Sunday morning. I might to my mother and say, Happy Mother's Day. But uh, no, it's very good. Uh, get on that if you haven't done it. Um, but we're um, coming sort of to the end of the the main Samuel um, uh, part of looking at Saul. Um, so we're looking at 1 Samuel 15 and then as we hit 16, it sort of all becomes about David. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, it's an interesting part of the Bible. Um, have a read before Sunday. I'm not going to spoil it, um, but it does uh, hit a pretty pretty difficult um, topic um, and a request that God asks Samuel, uh, sorry, asks Saul to do. And um, you can understand why he might hesitate. Um, and so mm. uh, it's going to be a fun day uh, to unpack this passage um, with you all. Um, but uh, I think one of the key things um, that I just wanted to pull out of it, and I'm just going to um, read it to you. And again, this just, just really ties into Saul just not doing what he's told mm. and not listening to God. Um, and Samuel here is rebuking him um, because he didn't listen to God in this particular instance. And And Samuel says, does the Lord delight in bird offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Mm -hmm. Lord? Mm -hmm. Um, And he says here, to obey is better than sacrifice. Um, And so it's better to obey than than have to offer a sacrifice or or, um, ask for repentance. Um, God wants us to do the right thing first. Mm -hmm. But we all know that we are sinners and we have forgiveness um, in, in Jesus and we come to him in repentance 
Um, but I think that's one of the, one of the key things we're going to look at is, um, you know, are you listening to God? Are you following what he calls um, you to do as, as a Christian, a follower of him, um, even when what he asks us to do can be really hard, mm. and especially in the case of Saul here where he's asked to wipe out a whole nation, mm. absolutely everything, and he doesn't do it. So we'll leave that there. Um, and so that's what we'll be looking at this coming Sunday. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Mm. Uh, we're going to be on our way out to dinner. And um, we really look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday and we will be right back with you uh, the following Thursday as we, uh, I, get to an- I get to be the one ans- answering the questions. Oh, joy. Uh, well, it's been great. Take care and we'll see you next time on Set on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15 p.m. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.